I remember her telling me that I want you to become something. I don't know what it's going to be, right? But I want you to do something with your life where these same doubters that are doubting you right now will not be able to look look at you eye to eye in 20 years. You're listening to the Experience Sikhi podcast, a deeper look into the Sikh identity. We present to you open, honest, and inspiring stories. No armor, pretense, or sugarcoating. Welcome to the Experience Sikhi podcast. I'm Gurleen Kaur. And I'm Kalvinder Singh. We begin the podcast by acknowledging that we are meeting on Aboriginal land that has been inhabited by Indigenous people from the beginning. As settlers, we're grateful for the opportunity to meet here, and we thank all the generations of people who have taken care of this land for thousands of years. In particular, we want to acknowledge the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek and Huron-Wendat. Also, just some reminders, if you guys like the podcast, please remember to comment, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Play. You can also send us questions and feedback at podcast at Our guest today is Dr. Amardeep Singh. Dr. Amardeep Singh is a medical physician who specializes in internal medicine at North York General Hospital and a part-time lecturer at the University of Toronto. Many of you may also recognize him from the Dr. Deepi show on Sikh Channel, where Dr. Singh uses his platform to bring awareness to many health issues that are prevalent in the Sikh community. Lastly, Dr. Amardeep Singh is a renowned double player whose love for Sikhi and Kirtan is recognized across the continent. Born in Africa, raised in California, and now practicing in Toronto, Dr. Amardeep Singh has had quite the journey into the medical profession. We hope you will all draw inspiration from his unique journey and learn from the many struggles that Dr. Singh has overcome to get where he is today. So here's Dr. Amardeep Singh. So welcome, Dr. Amardeep Singh. Thank you for being with us on the podcast. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you very much for having me. We're very excited for this episode. Yes, very, very excited. Um, so we're, we're just going to jump right into it. Um, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Obviously, we're going to get into the details, but just a high level passions, hobbies, where you started, everything. Sure. Um, I mean, I, I can start off with my background. Um, <clears throat> so I was born in um, Tanzania, actually. Uh, my father was um, a priest at the local Gurdwara in Moshi near Mount Kilimanjaro, a little village there. My mom, um, originally from Ludhiana in Punjab. Both my parents from Punjab, obviously. Um, born there, um, and then at the age of two, um, we moved to San Francisco, California. And I was pretty much raised in the Bay Area, in the city. Um, did all my schooling there and everything. And I moved here to Ontario in 2012. Um, after, you know, I worked a couple of years there as a physician and uh, moved down over here in 2012. And since then, I've been practicing here in downtown. In terms of hobbies, um, music is a huge, huge hobby. Not only a huge, huge hobby, it's a, it's a savior. Um, it's my outlet. Um, it's, it's my best friend. Uh, a little instrument called the tabla uh, has been my best friend my whole life. And um, through the tabla, um, I was able to, you know, be exposed to many, many gursiks. And therefore, um, you know, there's sangat and everything like that. Um, so passion-wise, hobby-wise, I love Indian classical music. I love playing tabla. Um, I'm trying to 
learn vocal. <laughs> um, but in general, that's that's my passion. Um, amongst other things, you know, sports is a huge passion of mine. Nice NFL football. I'm a really diehard San Francisco 49ers fan, so I'm still grieving because we, <laughs> we lost the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, yeah, it's been tough. Uh, um, I grew up in the in, in the days where we won five Super Bowls in the 1980s we were the team of the 1980s and 90s so i was a kid i was you know yeah. in the city seeing it live with joe montana and everything wow. um so it's been a while and <laughs> yeah. we've lost two super bowls since um so football actually it's it probably shouldn't be that much part of my life but it's actually a huge part, part of my of life yeah. um every sunday we get together as a family i've converted pretty much my whole family <laughs> into, into san francisco 49er fans like, except for my wife she's a oh no. she's a patriot fan oh, and okay. so we, we get into it a little bit um and then she's brainwashed some of my kids but i brainwashed so <laughs> we're, we're trying yeah um so sports is a huge thing and even basketball i grew up as a michael jordan right. like like basketball is not the same anymore to me because he's ever since he retired um so sports is a big thing that's one of my big big passions um traveling um and also like i think i think however you want to call it like just just trying to go out and share my experiences and whatever experience i may have and trying to change people's lives and and and, and try to help and mentor others um because i've gone through a lot in my life um and you know to see if i can you know provide a shortcut for people right Definitely. yeah um, you grew up in so many different places. You mm -hmm. had a very unique childhood compared to a lot of us. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that and what yeah. roles the key played in, in your childhood? Yeah. So, you know, Tanzania, I don't remember. You know, uh, I was born there. I've never been back. I want to go back. I hear it's a very, very beautiful place. Uh, my mom tells me stories about Tanzania. Um, but, you know, so I, I grew up in, in how we came to California um, was, you know, some extended family had started Fremont Gurdwara uh, in Fremont, California. And uh, they needed a granti. And my dad was in, in Moshi uh, at that time. And they're like, you know, let's call Rajinder Singh over, right? Um, so we kind of landed there. So we actually spent probably the first four or five years of my life in the Gurdwara. That was challenging in itself um, because, you know, I come from kind of a highly educated lineage uh, with my mom. She was a professor of arts, taught uh, uh, art in, in Chandigarh University. You know, my Nanaji is a PhD, Dr. Dashan Singh, who just passed away uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. He's, he's my pillar. He's the reason I am what I am. Um, he himself was a PhD, got his PhD at Ohio State University. So, and then my great, great grandfather. So education was really, really an important thing in our family. Um, and it bothered my mom that we were in, living in a Gurdwara. Mm -hmm. um, and my dad was, he was educated too. I mean, he, but he, he was just, he, he lived in his, he was kind of like a saint. I'll just say it. I don't, I don't want to say it, but mm -hmm. he was in his own, in his own. And he just had this longing to meet Guru Saab. Mm -hmm. And whether that involves being a family person or not, it didn't matter to him type of a deal. Yeah. Like it, he just went along with the flow, but his fun. main thing. So, so he was okay with, with coming to California like that. Um, and it, the challenge there at that time uh, was that here my mom is wearing a dastar. Here my father is with a kula dara. 
during that time, this is, we're talking about 1981 mm -hmm. in, in California Bay Area, and it wasn't common to have, you know, a, a Gursik appearance yeah. at that time. And here I am, a little kid with a patka. Um, so the first thing that bothered my mom was, you know, Sangat da Pasa. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. She said, this Pasa that, you know, is going to be poison to my kids. Mm -hmm. um, and she wanted out of the Gurdwara, like as fa and she was telling my dad, listen, you need to find a job. You need to do, you need to do something else, yeah. but we need to be out of here. Not because we don't want to do Seva, mm -hmm. but it's more because I don't want it to poison my kids. Mm -hmm. Like um, I, we need to earn a hard living with our, with our hands, with our feet. We need to do what we need to do. Um, that was one thing. The other thing was, you know, the same extended family that had kind of called us over a lot of those individuals were saying, hey, listen, you know, you know, you, you should, probably should take the thought off your head, you know, like, yeah. you're in America now, like, it's going to be tough for you, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, DP, they called me DP, my nickname is DP, so, you know, DP, I don't know, you know, like, it's it's not going to happen, he's going to have a tough time in school, he's yeah. not going to, you know, right. Um, and Pajinu Kohobi, you know, Dari Thorja Banlyakaran, right? Right. Um, because it's gonna be tough, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so, you know, at that moment I, I actually remember my mom sitting me down and saying, Dipi Dik, this is what everyone's saying. Yeah. She goes and she literally said, Listen, it's all up to you now. Right? She said, I remember her telling me that I want you to become something. I don't know what it's gonna be. Right. But I want you to do something with your life where these same doubters that are doubting you right now will not be able to look at, look at you eye to eye in 20 years. And so that lit a little fire in me right there. I, I must have been, I don't know, I don't know, like six, seven years old. I still remember yeah. that conversation. Yeah. Right. So that conversation being different and then growing and then then we ended up you know, getting out of, you know, getting out of the Gurdwara environment. And my, my dad got a job in the Department of Motor Vehicles, kind of like a state government job uh, in San Francisco itself. And we bought a grocery store, a corner store, which is probably the most dangerous job in America mm -hmm. um, because of violence and being yeah. held up. And we, my, my parents got held up gunpoint a couple of times. Wow. We were robbed. Um, so, you know, my dad's working in the DMV. My mom during the day is doing a man's job, lifting heavy boxes, trying to run this corner store in the middle of San Francisco. And we, and we lived kind of in the, you could say, the ghetto at that time, the Petrero Hill District, right? And so forget about Indian friends. No, I, I had zero Indian friends growing up. My, all my friends were Mexican, you know, Chinese, African-American. Um, and given the, the socioeconomic area where I was growing up, mm -hmm. They were into gangs. They were into, you know, all my friends carried guns. They all carried knives. They all, you know, um, just every possible thing you can imagine in the ghetto, mm -hmm. drugs, the whole bit I was exposed to, right? Wow. Um, so I actually grew up in that environment. Um, um, it, all the way, so elementary school, my mom tried, you know, a couple of times. My judah got pulled off. I got bullied a lot, you know. Um, so there was this constant... Um, questioning of why do I wear this on my head? Because I was asked that almost every day. Right. Yeah. Right. And right. so you, you actually begin to introspect into yourself and like, who are you as mm -hmm. a person? You know, 
right? Tu kona te kahan te aayo? Where did you come from, bro? Right? And I started questioning myself. And why do I wear this? Like I better know how to answer these questions, right? Um and So I grew up in that environment, you know, all the way my mom tried to put me in good schools, you know, she would ask, you know, the local neighbors and say, "Hey, are there any other good schools around this area?" you know. Um and um you know, she did a good job. Whatever she tried to I mean, like can you imagine like, you know, mm-hmm. she she figured yeah. out a way. And um so went through elementary there, went through junior high there. Junior high was tough, 6th through 8th grade. You know, that's where majority of the bullying occurs at that point. Um and even high school two years of high school happened in San Francisco so you know but during that time my identity was a different identity like i was this one patka kid in a class always being asked and that time i'd have a dadi i had these green eyes and i was asked first of all they couldn't even figure out if i was a boy or a girl so that was the first question <laughs> the second question was uh you know you know why do you wear this do the colors matter you know the the red and my mom just dressed me the way she dressed me and she didn't know that the red color was uh um uh, you know f- cuz all my friends were in gangs like represented blood. the bloods yeah right oh, wow. yeah and she didn't know that the blue color represented the crips, crips. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I, i'd had this red part gone and i'm taking public transport now think about that i don't need, i can't do that with my kids now here i am in you know 6th grade taking a 45 minute bus ride to get to you know i leave the corner store in the morning mm-hmm. i walk a couple of blocks to catch a bus with strangers okay and i'm going to go across the city in this bus and then come off this bus walk 3 or 4 blocks to get into junior high and those 3 or 4 blocks some of the worst high schools were in that area and and then come back no cell phones nothing can you imagine the trust the parents had yeah. like yeah, you leave your child in 6th grade would you i don't know if yeah. so 6th oh grade your kid like goes out yeah exactly right anyways and the only thing was if he shows up at 3:30 or 4 actually 4:30 it's okay we're good yeah <laughs> we're good right um so anyway but whatever it is at the same time i had this passion for tabla and sunday mornings there were a couple of families we went to asadivar program 6 to 9 mm-hmm. so it was like monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday you're dealing with kaljog right. <laughs> right and then sunday you go in and and i just wanted to play tabla right right that was my excuse to get sangat I didn't know about the power of sangat. I didn't understand Barney. Right. Right? Here I am. I'm being raised in North America. How am I even know Punjabi? Right? But like more than I can read a Punjabi newspaper, I could read Barney. Mm-hmm. Right? And and who sorry, who started you off with tabla like initially? So my mom does kirtan. Right. Okay. Right? The studies now show that in utero um children can hear in utero, children can taste whatever the mother is eating in utero um and so i'm sure i was listening to the vibes of tabla vaja even when i was in my mom's belly mm-hmm. right um and my grandfather does kirtan dr darshan singh does kirtan with pairanthir singh yeah. um and so this was literally already in the blood right it was going to happen right right um it was just a strong it's almost like you say autosomal dominant like it was just going to happen right, right. um and the question was going to be was galjo again you know, and my whole environment going to take me away from it or not mm-hmm. but i just had this huge passion to play i the first 15 years of my life i just i just played whatever i thought was right i didn't know what i was playing right i would just i would see someone play something i would go in the back of this corner store in san francisco 
I just lay down a gadda and that for three hours I would try to take out a tal. And these gore would come back like, where's that noise? What kind of, where's that noise coming from, yeah, right? Yeah. They go to the back and they see this little patka kid playing, trying to figure out how to take out tal. So I, was, I did that. Um, but that was my savior, right? So um, um, once that was kind of my anchor, Asadivar program. And then at the same time, knowing my mom is, she wears the star. At the same time, visualizing my grandfather, who I had utmost respect for, I knew where the line was. I always knew where the line was. Right. If my friends were smoking, it's like, nah, man, that's not me. Mm. Right? There were plenty of opportunities to do whatever I needed to do because mm-hmm. my mom had complete trust in me. No one would have would have found me doing it. I would have never have gotten caught. Mm-hmm. But it was just this one line I knew I just could not cross. Right? Um and that was through the power of, of Sangat. Mm-hmm. Because through Tabla, through these Asadivar programs, um, I started to slowly, slowly understand Barney. Mm-hmm. And there's a power of Barney. Like, you don't need to sit there and, and try to read definitions. No. There's actually a magic with Barney that happens that we, if you wholeheartedly just keep doing Jabji Sahib, you're going to start understanding it. And, and that's, that's what started happening to me. And once you have Barney as your meter stick, nothing can phase you in life. Nothing can phase you in life. And so by that time, you know, there's two ways you can react to challenges, right? Mm-hmm. So one way is to let that challenge absolutely defeat you. You lay down in bed and say, look, I just can't do this anymore. Right. And the other way is to let that challenge motivate you, right? They say growth comes and uh, growth comes from challenges. You have to struggle. That's where growth comes from. Mm-hmm. You have to be uncomfortable. That's where growth comes from. And, you know, the saying is, you know, um, is when life throws a curveball at you, you have a couple of options. You either watch that curveball go by you three times and you strike out Mm -hmm. or you just swing the bat really hard. Mm. If you make contact with the ball, you make it. Right. And so that was kind of, you know, by that time, I already I knew who I was. I had a strong identity um, and I knew nothing, no matter what I was exposed to, I, it wasn't going to phase me. So right. that that's the environment I grew up. And by the time, you know, I was in university, now you just have a different highly educated class of individuals. Mm-hmm. And that same, that same turban or identity or beard that was going to hinder me ended up being a complete advantage because my professors, I stood out. Mm-hmm. That's what Dasmit Basha wanted us to do. He purposely made us this way. He made us so that we can stand out in a crowd of 10,000 people and say, And that same identity that was supposed to hinder me ended up being a complete advantage because, you know, I ended up getting more respect for my identity. identity. My professors respected me. My friends respected me more. Um, and then it was just, it never was a challenge after that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I actually had something similar uh, in terms of just in university. Um, I always sat in the same place in a lecture hall. And um, because of that, my, my professor would always know that I did come to class. Um, and so it, it helps. It just, it they recognize you much better. There's thousands of students in this lecture hall, um, or at least hundreds. And how, how did that person always recognize me, right? Because they're like, oh, you always came to class. I'll, I'll actually give you the marks after going office hours, right? They do recognize you from very far away, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely helps. Um, we're just going to switch gears a little bit. Um, and you mentioned your your father. <coughs> he was a Granthi Singh. 
uh, was he the main influence in terms of your Sikhi t- towards you or was it more so some some other mentor? Was it your mother? Who was the main kind of uh, mentor in terms of Sikhi for you? So I would say that for the everyday exposure, the silent example was my dad. Okay. My dad and my mom and my mom, my parents. Right. Um, you know, my mom taught me through examples through Kirtan mm-hmm. um, and through talking. She's my best friend till this day. Mm-hmm. And my father was more of a silent figure. He wasn't the type that was going to sit me down and say, Dipi, nitrim karyakar. No. So the way he taught me was from example. He never raised his voice. He never yelled at me. I, I I don't know if you can imagine that, like a father never yelling at their son, mm-hmm. you know. Um, all I knew was, you know, about 3 a.m., the shower would go on and he would be taking a shower, Amritvilla, and I would hear part, I would hear him reciting and doing Simran. The long drives from San Francisco to Fremont, Kirtan would be on, he would turn it off and he would just do Saskara Simran during the car ride and I would just watch him and then sometimes I would just join along. And it wasn't, it, it was almost like he was a, it was almost like he was a Montessori dad, you know, in the sense that it wasn't a direct do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. It was more like he led by example. Yeah. And he figured it would come on its own type of a deal. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, it, you know, that was my everyday exposure. Um, with with the Sangat that I got through Kirtan, right? You know, amazing Gursikhs, amazing Gursikhs by Purandarji in Amritsar, you know, um, by, by, by Jeevan Singh. You know, he would come over the the house. He, he would, you know, I have so many stories with him, you know, um, just doing his Sangat and, and speaking to him, watched how he led his life. Gyani Amolik Singh, who started the first Amrit uh, Sanchar out in the UK, you know, I, I knew him really, really well. We did Sangha together. Gyani Nar Singh here, you know, my grandfather, you know, Dr. Hardeyal Singh, um, huge, huge influence. And through him, his older brother, Dr. Darshan Singh, once again, who, you know, rest his soul, he just passed away. And then knowing that the lineage went up and seeing photos of Dr. Darshan Singh, my, my grandfather's older brother is sitting with Paisa Pairantir Singh. Mm-hmm. There are photos, them doing Kirtan together. Mm-hmm. And we know what a Panthak Ratan Paisa Pairantir Singh uh, was. And then seeing pictures till this day with my grandfather with Santeja Singh. And so I knew there was something, right. it, it was almost like it was just going to happen, mm-hmm. right? That that was my Sikhi influence. And, and, and the Sikhi, however strong it may be, I have a long, long way to go. Um, now is through Gurbani and just reading Gurbani and trying to understand the deep meanings behind it because that's the ultimate meter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So your Sikhi journey, we've gotten a chance to hear a little bit about that. But how was it your journey to becoming a doctor? You mentioned that when you were six, your mom told you, I want you to become something. Yeah. So I just had, I love science. So I think that was the big, big, uh, one of the big deciding factors 
I love science. I know I loved anatomy. I loved physiology. I loved biology. You know, I wasn't that keen on math. I wasn't that keen on English. I wasn't that keen on other subjects. Mm-hmm. Science was my thing. So when you add that to there was something very pulling to me that made me gravitate toward a physician. You know, a doctor can change someone's life um, if they do it in the right way. Um, to be able to literally just change someone's life. Um, my mentor at that time was a neurologist, uh, Dr. Prabhjo Singh Khalsa. Um, and I used to play tabla with him. So okay. see see where this yeah. link yeah. comes from, yeah. right? Um, and, you know, he also, like, eighth grade, ninth grade, from straight from India, studied hard, you know, um, came from a probably not even a middle class, like a lower class, you know, type of living, you know, parents were struggling and he knew he had to do something to change the family tree. So he just studied, ended up going to Berkeley, uh, um, you know, and ended up going to medical school. He's one of the top neurologists in the Bay Area. And that was an influence to see, Mm -hmm. to see, I knew I had to do something with education. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was a given. Wherever it was, I had to do something I had to go all the way with the education mm-hmm. in whatever field because mm-hmm. that's what I was surrounded by yeah, yeah. <laughs> with my, my grandparents and everything like that, right? Mm-hmm. And then you had Dr. Katsa, you know, he would be the first one, first one to Asadiba. He would bring the vajja, yeah. he would bring the tabla by himself mm-hmm. and he was the first one there. He would never miss Asadiba program. And at the same time, he's this top-notch neurologist. Right. Yeah. That was just so inspiring to me, right? right? And, you know, and, and I asked him, hey, can I, can I shadow you? Mm. right so so i went i went to shadow him in his clinic right so was this when you're in high school yeah okay yeah and so he had this uh, one patient right who was having double vision for like a couple of years no one could figure it out he went she went to many many doctors right she goes and he's like dippy let me take you like here's this one patient she's got double vision and um and he and and he he took me I'm just watching him. And so he thought she had this condition. It's a, it's a medical condition called myasthenia gravis, where your, your, your muscles in your body, um, just on simple terms, don't really work. They're weak, right? And so the muscles that were controlling the eyes were, not, were, were weak, so they were not able to align the eyes. So she was getting double vision all the time. Right. And there's a, there's a, a test you can uh, give called a tensilon test where you can inject a medication that strengthens the muscles. And if the double vision gets better, it's a diagnostic test to say you have myasthenia gravis, mm-hmm. right? And so he performed that test right there in front of me. Her double vision got better. Mm-hmm. And she started crying. She's like, this is the first time in so many years mm-hmm. I can see straight. And he said, we know what you have now and we can treat this. Yeah. And that was for me like, wow mm-hmm. and i was like i want to do this yeah. like yeah. i can't imagine myself do, doing anything else um and so science and putting it together with this type of experience i i really and you know with his sangat i it just it was that was the way for me the other thing was right my grandfather used to always tell me the story of right you know mughal army 
is defeated and and you know there's injured Mughals mm-hmm. and Paikanayaji is giving them water yeah. and uh, a Sikh sees Paikanayaji and says and says what is this guy doing yeah like what is this guy doing these guys are the enemy mm-hmm. right and Dasme Pasha knew he knew Kiri cared Vartan Lagia and but that Sikh and basically tattletales on yeah. Pike Nayad, right? <laughs> we know all know the story. And I'm just saying it because yeah, of the podcast. Sure, sure. But, yeah. but tattletales, and Dustin Pasha is like, really? Okay. You know what? Call him over. Let yeah. me talk to him. Right? And so, you know, Pike Nayadji comes. And, and Dustin Pasha is like, yeah, these guys are the enemy. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Right? And Pike Nayadji is like, you know, and he's like, I don't know what else to do because I see you and everyone. That's a powerful, mm-hmm. powerful story. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what the Hippocratic Oath in Medicine tells you. That your patient could be a rapist. Your patient could be a drug dealer. It doesn't matter what the background of your patient is. You have to treat every one of your patients the same. And Sikhi tells you the exact same thing. Your best friend can come to your front door First of all, Sikh is not supposed to have any men. Nako Vadi, right? Nirvad. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be Nirvad. We're not supposed to have enemies. Mm-hmm. But even if someone you don't get along with or this, quote, enemy comes to your door, a Gursik opens their door, says, please come inside, eat something. And so medicine made sense for me. Because medicine and Sikhi to me are, they just go along. Because the two pillars of Sikhi are Seva and Simran. That's what Tayaji Dr. Dasha Singh always used to tell me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I used to feel guilty because sometimes I would miss Kirtan programs because I had a night shift at the hospital. Mm. And he's like, Dipi, Miri He goes, the two pillars of Sikhi, there's Simran and then there's Seva. He goes, if you are going to the hospital, you're missing the dance by program, but you're going to the hospital and you're wholeheartedly treating mm-hmm. ill people you're doing seva mm-hmm. those points get counted don't feel guilty about this right so it just made sense i just, like i was one of the lucky individuals because a lot of a lot of kids growing up in today's age aren't really sure what they want to do yeah i knew from the beginning i was just lucky that way mm-hmm. things just fell into place for me right um and so i just knew i wanted to do medicine and and i did whatever i could you know, and applied to medical school. First went to Berkeley as an undergrad, did a psychology degree there, and then applied to medical school, went to medical school, then ended up doing my residency training there in Oakland, California, Alameda County Medical Center. Worked for a couple of years there. Now I'm here. So coming from the States to here, what was that? Did you have to upgrade any education? Or? No. So they recognized pretty much everything I did over there. Um, I took my internal medicine boards in the States. Um, and Canada recognizes it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of paperwork involved, but it, it wasn't like I had to do any extra courses or, right. especially like, if you've been working there for, for a while. Yeah, then, yeah. 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 Um, so Dr. Amardeep Singh, your specialization is internal medicine. Could you let us know what, what you do in internal medicine? Sure. So I like to think of, um, internal medicine doctors as medical detectives, so, you know, when you think of a internal medicine doctor, it's, it's someone who just puts, it's a thinking person, 
you know, um, I'm always thinking, like I told you, my, my, my core is, uh, I'm always spaced out. <laughs> yeah. Um, part of it is cause I'm always thinking, but an internal medicine doctor is a detective. Um, and it's paper to pen sitting in a chair and really going through all the aspects of the patient's case and solving a entire puzzle that other people have missed. That's internal medicine. So, um, basically you know you know i don't know if you've ever watched that tv series dr house right so i mean that's a little bit glorified like he's doing all these procedures and all these kind of things but the the scenes that are pretty accurate are the ones where he's finding diagnoses that other people have missed and the the thought process that goes behind it like he's writing on a board he's saying yeah you know she came in with a fever during this time you know if i put that together with oh you know you know the the abdomen was tender when i on physical exam if i put that with this blood work the, the only diagnosis that can explain this would be so so right so it's literally mm. like a sherlock holmes of medicine right like we don't go and like you know do major operations or surgeries or or you know a lot of hands on stuff right. you know we try to solve puzzles that the emergency room doctor hasn't solved, that the family physician hasn't solved, that the surgeon doesn't hasn't solved. And so part of the training is basically you're a specialist in all the organ systems in the body, mm -hmm. right? So, it, you know, it's a three-year residency program. So you obviously you do your four years med school and then you do three-year residency in internal medicine. Here in Canada, it's actually a four-year residency. Um, and within those four years, you're doing monthly rotations in every field, right? So you're doing, you know, you know, uh, months and months of cardiology for the heart, months and months of hepatology for the liver uh, or gastroenterology, right? Your stomach, your colon, your liver, your digestive system or um, uh, uh, endocrinology, all your hormones that your body's making, your thyroid hormone, your adrenal glands, um, uh, dermatology you even do. So skin conditions, rashes, neurology for patients who, you know, get strokes and, you know, seizures, epilepsy, uh, that mm -hmm. whole bit. So you pretty much cover in nephrology. So kidney, kidney specialist, right? So if you can think of an organ in the body, there's a specialization for that organ right. and internal medicine doctors are mini specialists in all of the systems, but we put the big picture, right? It, it, we, we look at the big picture because if you go to a cardiologist, they're going to focus on the heart. And they're like, there is something going on with the kidneys, but I'm not sure what that is. Right. And yeah, there's something going on with your liver test too. I'm not really sure what that is. But hey, guess what? Your heart's fine. Yeah. Right? Or yeah. this is what we need to do for your heart. Right? If you go to an oncologist, a cancer specialist, you know, they don't know about your cholesterol. They don't know about your blood pressure. They don't know. They're just going to look at, okay, this is your cancer. This is the chemotherapy I got to put you on. Right? right? Where uh, I'm the guy who says, okay, so this is a 55-year-old who's got a colon cancer. You know, but now he's coming in with chest pain, you know, and he's got a fever and, uh, you know, his heart rate is up, you know, and then his blood tests show this. And I got to come up with one diagnosis. And I'm saying, wait a second, colon cancer raises the risk. And, and, and also it looks like he had swelling in his leg two weeks ago because when I asked him a detailed history putting everything together, wait a second, this guy's got a blood clot in his lung because colon cancer increases the risk of blood clots. And he has, the only thing that can uh, explain his leg swelling was he must have had a blood clot in the leg that traveled up to his lung and now he's having chest pain. And that can explain the fever, that can explain the high heart rate. And wait a second, this guy's got a clot in his lung. Yeah. Bam, got a diagnosis. 
you need a CT scan of your chest. Let's and we need to put you on this medication. There, wow. that's what an internal medicine doc does. Where on oncologists may not think that, right? Or, or cardiologists say, oh, he's coming with chest pain. Um, let's just make sure it's not the heart. Right. Right. So that's what we do. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. It is so cool. Yeah. I, I love it. I love my job. Yeah. I love it. I just imagined you in Dr. House. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, Dr. House on like steroids. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's, I, that's why I love my job because it's, it's um, your mind's always going and you're just solving puzzles. And it's uh, so if you lo- love to solve puzzles and put it to context and then at the same time change someone's life while you're at it. Yes. And at the same time, you're doing seva because right. Siki is telling you to do that. Yeah. I mean, it's just the perfect package. Awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've all heard, uh, as you just mentioned, there, there's a long process of becoming a doctor, right? And um, I've heard personal stories and I always hear about that long journey to become a doctor. Um, education aside, what does it take to become a doctor? Like we understand the process in terms of the education side, yeah. but what are the qualities? What are the things that uh, someone who thinks uh, about or is thinking about becoming a doctor, what are the things that they need to start kind of developing? So the same thing that, you know, the same thing that, that decides success, the same qualities that make you successful are the same qualities that'll make you a doctor. Um, And to me, first of all, success doesn't mean you have a billion dollars. To me, success means the ability to overcome challenges and obstacles to reach whatever goal you have set for yourself. That is the, the definition of success for me. Um, and what does that require? Well, first you have to be a goal-oriented person, right? Half of the problem gets resolved if you just simply set what your goal is, right? So once you've set your goal, now you have to figure out how am I going to reach that goal? And there are going to be obstacles. There are going to be challenges. There's going to be things that, you know, throw you on the ground. There's going to be, you know, there's no such thing as a failure. Failure is only an opportunity to grow, right? right? So all of these challenges are going to come your way. And you have to be the second quality to become a physician is resiliency, right? So first you set your goal and then you have to be resilient in order to reach that goal, right? Um, The third thing would be, you have to have, first of all, you ha- I would say you have to have the internal drive for it, right? Like if you're just doing it because oh, it's another thing I might want to do, right. you're going to be depressed. You're going to, you're going to hate it because mm-hmm. it's a long journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and it's going to require lots of sacrifices. Um, so you have to be, you have to really know that this is really what you want to do. Right. Right. Um, once, once you've set your goal, once you've become, you, you know that you have to be resilient, meaning that, you know, you fail an exam or someone tells you you can't do it, you got to get right back up and you say, no, I can do this. Right. And you're going you're gonna to figure out a way, you're going to navigate a way. You have to be relentless, right? And this isn't just to become a physician. I think this is Across teaching points for anything in life, yeah. right? Um, and then you have to be willing to sacrifice. Nothing comes without sacrifice. Nothing is going to be handed to you unless you win the lottery. Yeah. Okay. But nothing really in life is just going to be handed to you in a silver platter. And if it is handed to you, it usually goes away. Yeah. Yeah. And and 
it, you don't build those qualities, those resilient qualities, right? So I think that's basically what it is. You, ha you have to set the goal. You have to be willing to make your sacrifices, you know, like the, the days, because half of your friends are going to be working already and you're still going to be in debt, yeah, medical school debt. And, you know, here you are, like you're like already married and you're still studying. It's like usually that age, right? Like, and, and you're in debt where yeah. majority of your friends have already gone on and they're working in the workforce. Mm -hmm. And here you are taking exams still, right? you know? Um, so you, you have to be able to sacrifice and say, oh, sorry, I just, I can't play basketball today. Right. <laughs> you know, my cousins will come over, hey, you want to play yeah, basketball yeah, today? Yeah. Sorry, I got to study for exam. So you just got to, you got to be willing to sacrifice also. I think those are the, the main, main uh, mm -hmm. qualities. The other thing is, the other thing is just, once again, anything in life, find a mentor. Yes. Find someone who's done it, you know, and they may be able to give you shortcuts, you know, like they'll be able to tell you experiences that that um, they had to go through and you might be able to... Uh, Circumvent uh, possibly. Exactly, yeah. you know. Yeah. So what were some, because you mentioned some of the, the that obviously there's going to be hurdles, there's going to be challenges when you're going down this path. Uh, what, what were some of the challenges that you kind of experienced or that stick out for the medicine path yes so i mean the first thing is just getting into medical school was a challenge right um it's stressful because you know thirty thousand applications to one school and the entering class is 120 people mm -hmm. right right what are your chances to begin with yeah especially here in canada actually like canada i think only has like 10 medical schools and all of Canada, yeah. where California alone has like almost 15, right? <laughs> um, but so that is the first challenge. And then this constant pressure that, listen, you have to have, you have to have good grades, yeah. you know? And, and so that's another pressure. Then you have to be, you have to be well-rounded. Like you have to have life experiences. Yeah. This is where Dabla came in handy for me because right. my, my medical school interview was about Dabla. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Yeah. The same thing that was supposed to hinder me. My identity became my advantage. Yeah. Right? But anyway, but so that in itself is a challenge, you know. Um, it's a stressful, stressful process, right? Like just, you know, making sure you're trying to get A's and everything and, you know, above 90th percentile and everything, trying to make this application. Then you got to take this really gruesome MCAT exam, which yeah. has no correlation on what type of doctor you're going to be or how good of a doctor you're going to be interesting but it's just a weeding system right yeah. you got to take a year of calculus i was never a math person but i had to take a year of calculus right you know uh you know a year of english you got to take a year of uh, a year of biology and then whatever undergraduate degree you want to get you got to get that Right. And then a year of inorganic chemistry, a year of organic chemistry. Those are kind of prereqs, this one MCAT exam um, and whatever undergraduate degree you're getting. Right. right. Uh, so that in itself, the academic part is a challenge. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's a weeding system. Like I don't use organic chemistry today mm -hmm. at all. <laughs> right. I don't use any of those things I learned, but right. it's just a way to say, OK, which the survivors that can survive from that. Yeah. You know, um, so that was a challenge. The second challenge was. Um, I think once again, going back to, you know, it's almost like I had this constant struggle in me. Am I good enough? Mm. Mm. Am I good enough for this? And I like, think a lot of people go through that. Yes. Way. I was just about to say that. Yeah. Am I good enough? Like, 
like like the you know like you know all I see all these really smart people yeah. um you know like here I am this kid who you know no one else has done this in my family in terms of becoming a doctor mm-hmm. and like like did I did I get a good education growing up in San Francisco did mm-hmm. I like you know constant doubt like I I don't know you're comparing yourself to everyone else yeah you know? you're comparing yourself yeah. so you have a bottom right mado bottom kaisa jaisa maniye hoye na taisa meaning like this constant doubt in your mind you know am i good enough am i good enough you know and i actually remember the, here's another a separate story where where dr kalsa sat me down i was stressed i was like listen i don't know if i'm going to get in right mm-hmm. he was listen if it's meant to be it's going to happen he he told me the job of a sick is to put 120% into anything you do mm-hmm. and let the chips fall they're going to fall your fate is already written on your matha ਹੱਥ ਕਲਮ ਅਗਮ ਮਸਤਕ ਲਿਖਾਵਤੀ ਉਹਦੇ ਹੱਥ ਦੇ ਵਿੱਚ ਇੱਕ ਕਲਮ ਆ ਪੈਨ ਹੀ ਰਾਈਟਸ ਔਨ ਯੂਰ ਫੋਰਹੈਡ ਵਾਟਸ ਗੋਇੰਗ ਟੂ ਹੈਪਨ ਇਨ ਯੂਰ ਫਿਊਚਰ ਰਾਈਟ ਇਟਸ ਆਲਰੇਡੀ ਰਿਟਨ ਫॉर ਯੂ ਇਟਸ ਅਸ ਥਰੂ ਆਰ ਲਿਮਿਟਡ ਫਾਈਵ ਸੈਂਸਸ ਥੈਟ ਥਿੰਕ ਥੈਟ ਵੀ ਹੈਵ ਕੰਟਰੋਲ ਓਵਰ ਏਵਰੀਥਿੰਗ ਅਸਾਂ ਜੋਰ ਨਹੀਂ ਜੇ ਕੁਝ ਕਰ ਹਮ ਸਕੇ ਵੀ ਡੋਨਟ ਹੈਵ ਕੰਟਰੋਲ ਓਵਰ ਓਵਰ ਆਰ ਜੌਬ ਦਾ ਜੌਬ ਵਾਸ ਸਿਕ ਇਜ਼ ਇਫ ਗੁਰੂ ਸਾਹਿਬ ਟੈਲਸ ਯੂ ਬਿਲਡ ਦਿਸ ਰੋਡ ਥੈਨ ਅ ਸਿਕ ਇਜ਼ ਗੋਇੰਗ ਟੂ ਬੀ ਆਊਟ ਥੇਰ ਡੇ ਐਂਡ ਨਾਈਟ chopping away at the dirt building that road guru angad dev ji how he got guruship over bidhi chand of guru nanak dev ji's son mm. our job is to put 120% effort and that's what he told me just put your effort in the chips will fall if it's meant to be it'll happen mm-hmm. and if it doesn't happen there's a reason why it didn't happen then he gave me example he said sometimes things happen to us in our life and we haven't talked about this yet but my father passed away in my third year of medical school and but before that he had already given me this example he goes sometimes things happen in your life where you're like why mm-hmm. why such pain right so he said you know imagine a child is sitting at home in his living room and he's playing with matches father or the mother comes up to the child and smacks the child in the face in the child's eyes and perspective the child is thinking with tears coming down doesn't my mom and dad love me why would they inflict such pain why would they slap me like this i thought my parents were supposed to love me right but guess what's in the eyes of the parent I love my child so much that if my my child was just about to hurt themselves with those matches my child was going to burn the house down those are two that's the same event the event is the same mm-hmm. but there are two completely different perspectives of that event and that is our relationship with our parent guru sahab things happen to us in our life and we're like what and ni sangat mai karda and na paath mai karda ya but you don't know guru sahab just may have saved you from something mm-hmm. yeah guru sahab lost four children dasme paacha mitr pyare nu haal muridan da kehna machi wada guru sahab lost his char sahibzade and he's saying 
बुरा नहीं सब भला ही है रे हार नहीं सब जीत ही है रे नथिंग इज बैड बुरा नहीं सब भला ही है रे ऑल इज गुड हार नहीं नथिंग इज अ लॉस सब जीत ही है रे एवरीथिंग इज अ विक्ट्री रियली आई लॉस माई फोर किड्स दैट्स अ विक्ट्री रीड हिज जफर नामा टू औरंगजेब दैट थिंकिंग is an, an amazing powerful thinking that only sikhi gives you and so you know you relate that to think about that with any challenge in your life and and during these challenges trying to get into medical school i had all of these thoughts in my mind mm-hmm. and it allowed me to go through mm-hmm. that's the power that's the power of of sikhi it reminds me of this uh, story that um even when i was in university my i would always get into that state am i good enough right um and there's a thing called imposter syndrome where you feel that that you're mm-hmm. not good enough um and then i would call my mother and i'd be like maj like i don't know like it's it's really hard i just finished an exam and she's like under and she would every time for some reason she'd always tell me the story she's like and i've mentioned the story before as well she's like um mali da kam phal phul lana maraj lave jana lave right and she'd always just say that line and uh-huh. I'd get and I would get back to like okay I've done my best and if it's going to if it's going to be fruitful and yeah anxiety mm-hmm. comes when you think you have control over everything yes that's very powerful the second you realize eta maraj di kheda you know we're all here sent on our own mission really no one's really our father or our mother or our brother or sister we're individual souls with our individual karm from our previous lives that have led us here our sanjogs us sitting here today there's something we've done in our previous life for us to be sitting here and I'm meeting you guys all of this is all kind of pre-written there's a there's a another force another dimension working here that we don't see my grandfather always tells me he says dipi apan sochde ha bi sade kol akha hagiyan apan dekh sakde ha sade kol kann hage apan sun sakde ha jeeb hagi apan bol sakde ha apan cheezan swad taste kar sakde ha apan touch kar sakde feel kar sakde banda sochda bhi dekh panch cheezan hagiyan sade kol idan diyan and we think we have five senses that we know everything but guess what it's actually the opposite he says we only have five senses mm-hmm. there's a lot more at work here there's a lot more at work here that your limited five senses are not sensing right so you're right about that i mean that is an amazing uh, example that sada kam eh hagaya bhi bhana manna that's the one's biggest qualities a gursik has to have is bhana manna ਉਹ ਵੀ ਉਹਦੀ ਕਿਰਪਾ ਤੇ ਹੁੰਦਾ ਮੀਨਿੰਗ ਯੂ ਅੰਡਰਸਟੈਂਡ ਦੈਟ ਥੇਰ ਇਜ਼ ਅ ਹੁਕਮ ਗੋਇੰਗ ਔਨ ਹੀਅਰ ਐਂਡ ਵੀ ਨੀਡ ਟੂ ਫਾਲੋ ਦੈਟ ਹੁਕਮ ਆਰ ਜੌਬ ਇਜ਼ ਵਾਂਸ ਅਗੇਨ ਪੁਟ 120% ਇਨਟੂ ਵਾਟ ਐਵਰ ਯੂ ਡੂ ਐਂਡ ਲੈਟ ਦਿ ਚਿਪਸ ਫਾਲ ਵਾਟ ਐਵਰ ਦਿ ਪਾਣਾ ਇਜ਼ ਇਟ ਇਜ਼ ਵਾਟ ਇਟ ਇਜ਼ 
I, I still have two, um, two questions just on this topic um, about challenges and uh, um, around that sort, as well as one on um, how a person, because you mentioned that you knew exactly what you wanted to be, right, from the get-go, especially if it was an education earlier on and then eventually you wanted to go into uh, becoming a doctor. How would you, and this may be a, um, a slightly dumb question, but how, how would someone know that I want to go into medical school? And I know you mentioned that if you don't know, like in terms of uh, you don't have that conviction or for real reason, you probably won't make it through. But what what is that kind of criteria they should look for or something they should kind of explore to yeah. find out? If they want so to I, think, I, think the, I think the first thing would be with any career path, spend some time with someone who's in it okay because you know as you're growing up like medicine ended up being a lot different than what i thought it was going to be mm -hmm. because when you're growing up you know you have this one kind of just visual like yes. mental yeah. image of this is what a doctor is and yeah. the everyday life based on tv or whatever yeah. it is right so i think the first first thing you need to do if you're not sure like before you even try to read up on it or whatever is actually just go and spend some time with someone who is in that field, mm -hmm. right? Talk to them about it and then shadow them, Yeah. right? Shadow them, you know, a week might be enough for you. Two weeks might be enough for you, whatever, however much time it takes for you to realize that, okay, this is the lifestyle of a criminal lawyer, mm -hmm. right? This is the lifestyle of a, a mechanical engineer. Mm -hmm. This is a typical day, right? It needs to start with that. And if you think you can, you, if you see yourself to it, it'll come from within. Mm -hmm. Like it will come, like you'll know right away. I, right. I think you'll know right away. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you'll be like, ah, oh, I, I, I don't know. Like for me, I can't, I can't be behind a computer. I need people. Like, mm -hmm. like, as you can see, I've got a, I can, I can chatter <laughs> on and on. Right. I need people. I need people. I need to talk to people. So I can't be an engineer. Like, like, mm -hmm. like I, or like someone who's behind a computer or I need people. Right. right? Sure. And that's why internal medicine too. If I, you know, there are some people who are pathologists and they just do autopsies on dead bodies or radiologists who sit in a room and they read CAT scans. Mm -hmm. Those aren't the most talkative people either. Yeah. But the first thing you need to do is find someone in the profession mm -hmm. and shadow them. Then you, I think half of the, the issue will be resolved right there. Right. Yeah. Right? You'll either have a natural inclination exactly. or not. And particularly for medicine, once you have seen that, you'll know. Like, say, if some people, they see the sight of blood and they're like, uh, yeah, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. My cousin, actually, she got, she got into to medical school. But she had never shadowed a doctor. She ended up getting in. Mm -hmm. But the first time she had to stand in front of a cadaver, she couldn't, she couldn't even, and she decided wow. not to go. Right. So wow. you need you need that ahead of time. Right. So you'll you'll know once you're in an emergency room shadowing a doctor, you see someone doing CPR or, you know, something like that going on. If you're able to handle it, if you've got the gut to handle it. Yeah. Right. right. And it doesn't bother you. So that's one criteria. <laughs> the other <laughs> is like if it seems really interesting, you, you could see yourself doing it. That's another criteria. The third criteria I would say is. Are you interested in science? Yeah. Right. Because if science isn't your thing, like you're more like an English person or whatever, and, you know, biology just doesn't do it for you or whatatever, then medicine is probably not the 
the way to go, right? Mm-hmm. right? And the other thing is, like, are you the type of personality who wants just a quick solution to everything and is not able to to have the patience to go through years and years and years mm-hmm. of schooling, right? Right? If you're the if if you're the type of person that can you know like sit on a task and no matter how frustrating that task is, like you know just keep going at it and going at it then that it might be right for you i think those are kind of perfect yeah, yeah. and i think that applies to so many careers like yeah i'm a cpa so some people will still be like oh so you do taxes and i'm like not really <laughs> yeah. but until you don't shadow someone or learn what different streams there are within a profession you'll never know like if this is what you want to do or exactly. what the job actually does but because the theory is so different to the application i find yeah. depending on what you go into yeah. and also what you just mentioned in terms of the other streams i feel a lot of the times uh students in in high school they just don't know what's available yeah right and i think uh, how you mentioned shadowing that uh person helps uh get that information and that person also knows as you mentioned the radiologist the pathologist they you know the different yeah. streams that are yeah, available like right within and you a can hospital guide there's so many roles yeah. that you could have that's not yeah the, like a physician yeah and no book is going to teach you that yeah. no like you actually have to find mm-hmm. uh, find someone yeah. right and and that's where you guys come in like like i i think you know like this podcast or just the youth here is so active i wish i had this when i was growing up in the city right like our kids today are so lucky we have, mm-hmm. you know, this, you know, I went to this one Sikia talk, like, like very like, and this is a second, third generation educated youth who, who are thinking above and beyond now. It, you know, our parents were the survivors. Mm-hmm. Yes. They were there to put this, lay the foundation, mm-hmm. put the stepping stone there. And now, you know, they gave us this opportunity. We try to take full advantage of this opportunity and, and take it to another level. Now we're actually even thinking about how are we going to help our youth out? How are we going to like, look at these, like, it's just yeah. amazing. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's where it comes in and you find, and we have plenty of individuals like this in our community, find them and use them, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, yeah. I agree. Yeah. You actually, aside from being a physician, you also lecture at university of Toronto and have your own Dr. DB show. You want to tell us about that? Sure. So the, the lectureship at university of Toronto is, so the hospital I, I, I work at is North York general hospital. So it's the it's basically the main community teaching site uh, for University of Toronto um, uh, for residents, basically. So, you know, family residents and different residents who are completing their University of Toronto residency or even uh, completing their residency at, you know, um, um, other programs, um, they rotate through our community center. And so I teach them. Right. So I like we have a group of internal medicine doctors, about 10 of us now. Um, and basically the residents work with us. So they see patients and everything. And the lectureship isn't really me going physically downtown mm-hmm. to lecture. Mm-hmm. It's I'm lecturing them when they come and rotate through our community hospital. Um, and so we teach them. So you kind of get this kind of lecture uh, status uh, of University of Toronto uh, for that. Mm-hmm. Um the the show the medical show Doctor DP show um, what the idea kind of came up um, it's been almost a year now I think um, where I realized that you know first of all I love teaching mm-hmm. um, and you know when I completed my residency I did a year of chief residency um, in which you're kind of you half half halfway you're part of the professors mm-hmm. and but 
you're also you're kind of the bridge between the residents and the professors. Okay. So I did a year of that and and I had the opportunity to start doing teaching there. I love teaching, whether it be tabla, whether it be anything. I just love teaching, right? Um, and so the idea came up where, you know, I was having the same lecture with my patients. <laughs> you know, if I have a patient with high blood pressure, you know, I would I would teach them about high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. I would spend 15, 20 minutes with this one patient saying, hey, look, this is what causes blood pressure. This is what we got to do about your diet, you know, and, you know, the long term, you know, effects of blood pressure, this and this and this. And it's almost like I just given the same talk over and over again yeah yeah i mean if you affect one life it's a victory yeah right but then i started thinking what if i gave the same lecture and thousands of people had access to it Mm -hmm. that same amount of energy that i'm putting into this one patient if i just put that same energy once you know someone sitting in india could listen to it and maybe cut the salt in their diet scale yeah. scaling right um and you know like i'm i'm like i'm in that meeting of you know like the, the millennials or whatever like i'm i'm at the i'm not a millennial i got am i a millennial? i don't know if i'm a <laughs> but I'm, I'm not that good with technology as sure. like even my 13 year old is yeah. already um but so i i just had an idea and you know and Atom Jeet Singh, you know, comes to Keith and programs and things like that. Just Bal Singh, we, I knew him. And, you know, we just started talking about this idea. And, and, I, and, and the other thing was, I realized, you know, for lack of a better word, how igno- ignorant, it's kind of a negative word, but our community is about simple medical issues. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our, our Punjabi community actually takes pride of not having to see the doctor. Right. Right, it's almost like it's a it's a matter of pride. Oh, I, the visa logo my doctor ko nahi right? And uh, and it's like, is that really a good thing? Because we could have prevented that colon cancer, right? If you had your colonoscopy at age of fifty, we could have prevented the colon cancer if you had just gone to the doctor. So going to the doctor is not just a matter of going when you know crap has hit the fan. Yeah. Right. It's it's a matter of preventing it. Yeah. It's a matter of preventing that. So it's a different kind of perspective that I think our community, and it's not just our Punjabi, it's it's mainly the Asian community, right? Or even I mean, I think it's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but it's almost like there's not this idea of maintaining long-term health and preventing conditions, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there's also a fear, I think, that doctor you know like the side effect you know natural and this and that right and the way one of our prominent surgeons puts it you know natural they want natural uh getting eaten by a lion in the jungle is also natural <laughs> right and they're worried about side effects of medication right so there's this whole kind of thing and so you know it, to me it was like you know what this is an opportunity to educate our community mm-hmm on things that can change their life. Sleep apnea, high blood pressure, diabetes, you know, basic things. I try to keep it simple right. during these, uh, these and, and, and I try to, so I, I, I speak in English and Atamji Singh speaks in Punjabi, so we can kind of Perfect. hit both, mm-hmm. you know. Demographics, yeah. Both demographics. 
And so we just kind of been doing that basically. So where can mm-hmm. people find it? Sorry. So you could just it's it's through Sick Channel, but you can if you want to like every two we two and a half weeks we do an episode on something. Our last one was on this coronavirus. Um, we've done episodes on sleep apnea, on cancer, everything you can imagine. And basically, just log on to on through your Facebook if you have Facebook. Um, just type in Doctor DP Show D E E P Y Show, um, and then you can just follow it. And so anytime we have a new episode. It'll just you'll be able to follow it that way. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, actually, so maybe in two minutes, maybe yeah. you can give like a short kind of uh, snippet of it. Um, is there any advice you would give in terms of uh, diet? for our community. I feel like that's one of the major things. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. And, and it is a major thing. Um, and I'll tell you one thing. Doctors don't know much about diet. Interesting. I'll okay. tell you that right now. Okay. You know, in medical school, I probably had, you know, what, 10 hours out of a four year period on nutrition. Okay. So when you go to the doctor, and you ask them about diet, most of them don't know what they're talking about. The ones that do know what they're talking about, are, are individuals that did their own research, spent right. time on their own uh, doing that. And I would say that the easiest solution now is for both the physician and patient is a two-minute visit. You go to the doctor. Doctor just writes a prescription on a pad. It's easy for the doctor because they don't have to educate you. Right. So it's easy for them. You know, They just save themselves 15, 20 minutes. They give you a pill. The pill ends up being the magic solution. And it might even be easy for the patient. They say, ah, I don't have to worry about diet. I just take this pill. I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. So the path of least resistant is resistance is what's going on now. But diet really is everything. Mm-hmm. Nutrition really is everything. Pure preventative care comes from you are what you eat. And the take-home point when it comes to diet, plant-based diet is the healthiest diet. If it swims, if it flies, if it lays eggs, if it, you know, you know, if it has a mom or a dad, don't eat it. Okay? Anything that comes from animal is unhealthy for you. Okay? 30 years, 40 years ago, you know, people would have called a doctor crazy for saying that. Definitely, yeah. Right? But now the research is just out. That plant-based protein... Uh, plant-based diet is absolutely the healthiest diet. You know, the World Health Organization uh, said already has made a statement about red meat and saying that it's a carcinogen, it leads to cancer, right? But I would really say any type of meat, Hmm. right? Eggs, Hmm. fish, anything has um, um, a protein, a certain component of protein that's carcinogenic. If you really want to know about plant-based diet, watch the documentary Forks Over Knives. So that's one, uh, based on a book called The China Study, which was um, this study, um, it was, this book was written by, o, by a biomedical biochemist who used to work for the uh, uh, um, FDA, mm-hmm. okay, who grew up in a dairy farm himself, okay, and he studied villages in China and what they ate. And he found that, hey, you know, esophageal cancer rates are so high in this one village. And, you know, in this village, there's like no cancer going on. And he, it was, it's the most detailed nutritional study ever done, the China study, wow. right? And the conclusion was that a plant-based diet had less cardiovascular risk, less um, a car- a cancer risk, okay? So that's one thing. The other thing is milk. 
So if you follow my page, I've done two episodes on cow's milk. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, it's not good for you. I was going <laughs> to It's not good for you. I was going to say, you said plant-based, so does that include yeah. dairy? Yeah. Which yeah. is very hard for a community. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, um, I don't know if it's, I, I, I could, oh my God, I can go on forever about this topic because mm -hmm. I've, I've researched it in length. But first of all, we're the only species on this planet that is drinking another species breast milk. Yeah. That's number one. Let's just think about that for a second. Mm -hmm. The second thing is we're also the only species on this planet that is drinking breast milk in adulthood. Yep. And cow's milk is basically a growth, potent growth formula to make a calf yeah. become into one or two tons in a matter mm -hmm. of a year. Even a cow after a year says, yo, that's enough, <laughs> yeah. pushes its calf away. But here we are adults drinking this potent breast milk of another animal mm -hmm. it's filled with 25 30 hormones and most of the milk we get is coming from a pregnant cow so think about the hormone hormonal changes that go through a pregnant cow the progesterons the estrogens and everything right and so and and so i presented this topic a couple of years ago in our hospital the new england journal of medicine which is the most prestigious journal in medicine mm -hmm. just a couple of days ago established a, a review article on milk and health and all those points were the same points that uh, were covered and cow's milk is associated with increased chance of breast cancer endometrial cancer ovarian cancer okay uh, and prostate cancer in terms of ectopic diseases if you have asthma or eczema if the kid the, these double-blinded uh, uh, placebo-controlled trials were done with kids uh, who we're having these symptoms and you cut the cow's milk and you convert it over to soy milk, almond milk, mm -hmm. and they had decreased symptoms, right? Atopic diseases. There's increased osteoporosis uh, risk. So the highest milk drinking countries, Sweden, Finland, all those, Netherlands, they have the highest risk of hip fractures, okay? So it's actually the opposite yeah. that these, the dairy industry huh. is teaching us, yeah. that it makes your bones strong. No, you actually have a higher risk of fractures, okay? But the dairy industry is a multi-billion dollar mm -hmm. industry. And then if on top of that, you add the environmental impact, right, uh, of this whole thing, that's a whole separate topic, yeah. right? So no to cow's milk. Conspiracy covers that. Yeah. So, so, so no, no. To, and actually, people are realizing one of the biggest dairy uh, companies in North America just went bankrupt. Yeah. Probably about five, six months ago. Yeah. So pe people are realizing. Yeah, and especially because of the kind of increased in terms of marketing on Netflix and all these documentaries that are coming out, yeah. that's educating yeah. the public as well, right? Yeah. Um, and then there's a whole separate topic about intermittent fasting, which we can get into too uh, at another time. Yeah, if if you want to just kind of quickly talk about that, so that'd be great. evolutionarily, you know, we are not really made to eat three meals a day. Okay, like when we were living in caves, if we got one meal every you know couple of days, we were lucky, mm. right? Um, and so intermittent fasting, basically, if I was just sum the whole thing up is it's not really about what, what you're eating, mm -hmm. you know, other than obviously meat and, mm -hmm. you know, but, but it's about when you're eating. Yeah. Right. So what you want to do is you want to, you know, keep a very small window of eating yeah. a two hour window, pick a meal, whatever your favorite meal is. For me, it's, it's dinner. Cause I, I want to sit with my family, eat dinner. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have my coffee in the morning without any sugar or whatever yeah. it is and i go throughout the whole entire day without eating anything and i'll come back home and eat a massive dinner right with whatever mm -hmm. how long are you going to tell someone not to eat pizza 
or take away their yeah. favorite foods. That's why diets don't work, right? Mm -hmm. Right. But intermittent fasting, the studies show that you know the studies for the longest time show that people who eat less live longer. And because the more you eat, there's there's um, um, uh, what they say oc uh, um, oxidative oxidative damage or inflammatory damage that happens at the microcellular level, um, and intermittent fasting prevents that. It makes your cells much more more efficient mm -hmm. in dealing with inflammation, and it's a great way for weight loss that's sustainable for the rest of your life. It gives you more energy, mm -hmm. more uh, focus. Um, and there's more and more studies uh, that are happening that, you know, Alzheimer's risk, uh, cancer risk and things like that. Yeah. So intermittent wow. fasting is a great way. Um, I actually started it a year and a half ago yeah. and I, I swear by it. I tell yeah. everyone about it. Yeah. So everyone's like, Oh, how did you lose weight? Like, yeah. and I'm like, I started doing this and yeah. they're like, they're looking for some magic solution. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you just yeah. eat less. Yeah. And yeah. You we, for some reason, it. just, just like we were taught that milk is supposed to be healthy for us yeah. through the TV commercials. Yeah. We've also social, you know, yeah. culturally uh, decided that, you know, three meals a day is yeah. the way to go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. We're really no, like, because what happens is by the 14th hour of fasting. Yeah. So the first couple of hours of fasting, your mm -hmm. body's using your blood glucose. Yep. And your and and the glucose in your liver. Mm -hmm. By the fourteenth hour, those stores have now run out, right. and so now your body's like, oh, where do I go for energy yeah. now? That's when it starts to attack yeah. your fat for energy. Yeah. And so, in every hour after that fourteenth hour, where you're not eating anything, you're actually burning fat, mm -hmm. right? And that's what our fat is for. We have no other reason yeah. to have fat. So when you're eating, you're munching on things throughout the entire day. You're never giving your body an opportunity to go into Burn your fat stores. Wow. Yeah. So I, I I do two meals. I can't just do one. <laughs> but growing up, like I never wanted to have breakfast, but I always had breakfast because my mom's like, you got to eat breakfast before yeah. going to school. Yeah, breakfast is the biggest. Yeah. 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 You know, you're always taught that. But for yeah. me, like giving up breakfast is actually makes me so much more healthier, I find. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm not just eating because I have to have breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you I, end up listening to your body more. You end up drinking a lot more water. You're not forcing yeah. yourself to get your water intake because right. you actually want water. Yeah. yeah. So that'll be one of our next. I mean, we've covered milk. I haven't covered meat yet on the show. We will cover, you know, meat versus plant-based diets. That's a huge topic. And I'll, and I'll put the science behind, the studies behind it. And then we'll also do a couple episodes on intermittent fasting in the future. Yeah. yeah. I've also heard, uh, see, and this is kind of the issue that I think needs to be addressed eventually or is the education aspect of what you're exactly doing, right? Um, being able to provide that education because sometimes what happens is you'll read a headline or you'll even read the article, but people won't go in depth into terms mm -hmm. of researching this stuff. And so there's so many opinions that you get um, mm -hmm. across your peers and like colleagues and and you don't know what's true, what's not, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And that's a huge problem. That, um, especially in today's social media age. Exactly. That's what that decided the elections with Donald Trump, yeah. right? Like, like no one knows what's true or not, <coughs> right? And, 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 you know, now the information is so vastly available yes. to us. Mm -hmm. I have patients come in who have researched their illness thick and through, and they've thought worst case scenario. Yeah. The, the danger of that, because Google will just tell, tell you all this stuff, yes. right? But the danger of that is they don't have any context to put it into. Right. They have all these facts that they just read, but there's, there's not 25 years of training and experience behind it yep. to help you put all those facts into a certain context, mm -hmm. right? And that's when you go to a physician, you know, who has seen you know, whatever the illness may be that you're coming in with and has already seen thousands of patients mm -hmm. through residency and everything through their career where that physician can put those, that diagnosis into a context for that individual patient. Right. 
Actually, that leads me to think like now being a doctor in this day and age, is it harder than it was when you earlier? Because everyone now Googles everything and says like, this is my symptoms. This is what I have. Yeah. So, I mean, it's harder in that way that, you know, you're answering more, you're spending more time with your patients. I think that's a good thing. Um, And I also think it's a good thing that the patients are interested in their health. I I like those patients that, Mm -hmm. that are actually interested in trying to do something. They come in with questions um, because (laughs) it's, it's actually easier as a, it's harder in the sense that you're spending more time with a, with a patient. Like, yeah, yeah, I can, you can burn out as a physician, like answering, you know, but at the same time, if, if you're talking about changing the life of a patient, Mm -hmm. you know, it's easier to change the life of a patient who recognizes their illness and has is interested in changing their participating. If, if I'm trying to get, you know, someone who weighs 350 pounds to lose weight, it's much easier if they want to lose weight and they're asking me how mm-hmm. they can do it rather than someone who just comes in for the, as a formality and says, uh, right? right? So in one way, it's it's easier because you can change someone because they're interested in it. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, it, it can be more difficult because you're spending more time with patients. They have many more questions. Families have questions. The hardest part, by the way, the, now the hardest part about being a physician is not the science, right? Mm-hmm. A heart attack is a heart attack. Like you give the same medicines. It's like an algorithm in my mind now, mm-hmm. right? Like someone comes in with this. Oh, here's my algorithm. I got to order this. I got to, that becomes like second nature. It's like a knee reflex, mm-hmm. right? The hardest part it, really of being a physician is the psychosocial aspect of it. You know, uh, dealing with different personalities, you know, dealing with anxious individuals, dealing with, you know, you know, uh, indiv- patients or family members of patients that don't trust anything you're doing, you know, and then having conversations with them or multiple family members who don't agree on something. And, you know, you have a really ill grandmother right. who's like on a ventilator, you know, and doesn't have a good prognosis. And then you have one family member saying, no, 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 we should do this. We should do this. We should do this. You have another family member saying, listen, she's 95, like she's not going to, her quality of life's not going to be the same. Like Mm -hmm. at some point we just have to let it go. Right. Right. And then, you know, navigating that. Right. And then, you know, there, and then you get dragged into it being this neutral. Mm -hmm. Right. So the psychosocial aspect of medicine is the toughest aspect of it. You know, um, not the science. Right. Yeah. It's literally like how to correctly market um, yeah. what you're trying to say and hope everybody understands which that. is why medical school should be it, it to giving they should be giving seats to individuals who have life experiences mm. right like doctors shouldn't just be scientists mm. right like yeah. like do you you don't want a doctor that doesn't even make eye contact with you 100 yeah. you don't want a doctor who doesn't know how to have, have a conversation you don't want you don't want to be treated by a scientist mm-hmm. you want a doctor that can you know explain things to you right and and navigate these tough interactions right so it, i'm i'm a, a vast believer that you know you know the mature individual the people who didn't get into medical school their first two years of their life and they ended up doing a different job or traveling or you know or, or the ones that didn't get a biomedical degree they got a degree in art mm. or they got a degree right and, and like well-rounded they had leadership skills they're out there they're they're people you want a person not a not a lab rat as a, as a doctor, right? So I'm a I'm a, 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 a because eighty percent of medicine is psychosocial. The science gets old after a while, you know. It's repetitive. It's repetitive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's interesting because like I first of all I was like. It, for all the listeners, I just kind of like went, phew, like <laughs> when you said um, that uh, 
you actually enjoy those patients who actually come to you that have some kind of research because I, I do similar thing with my doctor and I'm like <laughs> and I'm like I know this is gonna sound bad and I apologize and I always apologize before I say this but and I'm then like, you, I googled this and, and then, then and then you pull out your little yeah yeah pretty right? much <laughs> with 40 questions <laughs> And he just looks at me and I appreciate him so much because he's like, he, he listens. So that's good. Um, because one time I thought I had sleep apnea and I didn't. And I said, can you recommend me for a sleep study? And he actually did. So I appreciate that. Um, yeah, but um, going kind of switching some ge uh, like gears um, in terms of kind of merging the two now that we've talked about the sick key aspect, we've talked about the medical um, and and we've kind of blurred that line in terms of both but how has sikhi affected your medical practice yeah. directly yeah sant Athar singh's philosophy was you know and through him santeja singh and through him baba ipal singh who's now at barusab you're sick first and then you're a teacher you're sick first and then you're a doctor you're sick first, and then you're a social worker. If you keep the tenets of Sikhi in your mind, you will be successful in anything you do. And I sometimes, you know, think back and, you know, try to be a contrarian and say, man, what if there's not a God? But I've, I've come to the conclusion, you know, that whenever that day comes where my soul departs from my physical body and whether there's a Tarmaraj they're waiting for me or not and I find out the truth I would still raise my kids into Sikhi even if there wasn't and the reason is all 10 Gurus and Gurbani are trying to make the perfect individual. You can tell that 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 Dasme Pacha, Guru Angadevji, Guru Amardasji, they they envision the perfect human being. One who has killed the Panchor, lust, greed, attachment, anger, and ego which is the main one which drives the rest. One who does service to humanity, right? One who is a hard worker, right? One who's able to eliminate all distractions and meditate on one. Once you have those skills apply those skills in your work if you're able to eliminate all distractions what's studying it's elimination of distractions it's the ability to focus on the task at hand when you're doing simran that's what you're doing you're focusing on wah guru right the hardest part about meditation is eliminating all the thoughts in your mind and focusing on one. What's the hardest part about studying? Same exact thing. The ability to focus. So if you're following the Sikhi path, and you're already meditating, you're going to kill your education. 
you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna do so well in it. If you're a humble human being, your patients are gonna come to you rather than another doctor. They're gonna trust you. If you're seeing Guru Sahib in everyone, you know, the people around you, the aura that you send out, the energy that you send out, people recognize that energy. You're right? And if you're able to be a humble human being, if you're able to see Guru Sahib in everyone, if you're able to focus on one task, if you're able to understand that you don't have control over everything, that there is another power at work, and you have the personality, meaning when the best times in your life happen and the worst times in your life occur, a gursuk stays steady through that, that whole process. Wouldn't you want to go to a doctor like that? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you want that type of a lawyer to represent you in court? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. So Guru Sahib's already planned it out for us. That's why if you keep, if you keep your Sikhi values first, which they automatically will make you successful in anything you do. Because a Sikh is a hardworking person. A Sikh is not lazy. Udham. Mm -hmm. yeah. Udham kart anand peya. Udham means effort. Udham kart anand peya. Then you'll get bliss out of effort. You know, pull yourself out of bed for Amrit Villa. Hmm. Pull yourself out. Kot kot man ka svatti lave. Man kar hala. Mean, all these examples in Bani saying, telling you, just try, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, put that effort in. You know, 95% of success is effort. 5% is, oh, the chips fell in the right place or you're intelligent or whatever, IQ. 95%. You know, I was afraid of calculus. Okay, I was afraid of math. Hmm. My, my friend may have studied two hours and he got a perfect score. But you know what? I had to put in 14. But I got the same score. But I put in 14 hours. Mm -hmm. I put in seven amounts of effort than him. So when people say, you know, oh, you're so smart. you No, I'm not smart. I just know what I want. And I'm willing to put all the effort into there. And I'm leaving the rest of Guru Sahib. And, I, and that is what I've learned from Sikhi. So Sikhi and success, they're, they're right there. So, you know, it's important. And I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to raise my kids in Sikhi because I know that. Right. You know, I know that. It's not only because, you know, they're here on their own mission. Their their souls are here on their own mission. And I, you know, Sikhi just provides so many benefits. So, so many benefits. That's why I always, you know, you know, it's not that I believe it, but I say, yeah, you know what? If the, Even if there wasn't a God, I'd raise my kids in Sikhi. Mm -hmm. Because of that aspect of it. An honest individual. The teaching alone. The teaching alone is, is, is what it is. So that's where it comes together. And I know Kirtan's a big part of your life. Do you apply that to your medical practice? So the Kirtan aspect of it or Kirtan, you know, so it's hard to apply it when I'm actually in the hospital. I can't really do Kirtan in the hospital. But <laughs> no, but what I mean, like practically speaking, Kirtan is, you know, is, is 
the way to express your emotions, you know, mm-hmm. putting Vani in a platter, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the Adas aspect of Kirtan, yeah, like like the, the teachings of Sikhi, I, I apply in, I try to apply in my practice, right? Where, where, you know, I try my hardest to treat everyone like they're my own family. I try my hardest to, to not get frustrated, right. you know, to put that extra effort and say, it, this is a soul that needs helping. You know, you know, there's so many times I have to, on a night shift, have to pronounce patients when they've passed away and I'll do a ardas for them, mm. you know, you know, and, or even with family, like I say, Hey, do you mind if I do a, a small prayer? You know, and it can be a Jewish family. It can be, you know, any and and so I try to apply it in that in that sense. So, some of the some of the Jewish patients think I'm a rabbi, though. <laughs> <laughs> and at the hospital, you must see death on a regular basis. Every day, every day I see it. Yeah, and I'll pronounce the patients, and you know that helps that helps my sikhi. You know, some pratan gursiks I know they actually went to the cemetery. They would sit on a grave to do simran. Mm. You know. Those are many stories because those who remember Kal Heri Fire Badakjion. Kal means death. Fire Badakjion is a hunter. It's like your shadow. You don't know what's behind you. And you're walking and it's behind you. It's always kind of hovering over you like this. You turn around to look at your shadow, it turns with you so you don't see it. And it's always there, ready to take you. Kal Heri Fire Badakjion. Right? And the ones who remember that, that remember, remember that this could be your last day. Dinte pehar peherte kadiyan od kate tan chijje kaal heri fire badakjion ko kam kit badijje. Those who remember that, so then avan laga, right? It all motivates you to do simran. Because the only reason we, and now I'm getting a little bit deep into it, that I've learned, we're actually really preparing for our last breaths of our life. Right? So when you do your Nitanim, when you do Simran, you're practicing. What are you practicing for? You're practicing for that last, last breath you're going to take because that'll decide where you're going. Antakal cho lashmi simre asi chinta maje mare In that last breath, if you remember Maya, Oh, I have, you know, I, man, I got, I got five homes and I have like all this, my accounts filled with this. Oh my God, I'm leaving all of that. You're going to be born a snake your, left, your, your next life. If, during your last breath of your life, you're remembering, I'm leaving my home. Oh my God, I worked so hard to build this home. I'm so attached to it. Guru Sahib is going to be like, you love your home that much? Sure. Stay here. Stay here now. And you hear about all these haunted houses. These are people who could not give up that attachment. So there's many examples in that Shabbat. But then in the end comes, Antakal jo Narayan simre. Narayan is another name for God. Asi chinta manjere. If I die thinking that way, Narayan, 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 this is my opportunity. You're here. Take me. Badak lochan, pagat lochan. 
who's a Bhagat, Badakta Lochan Te Nar, that human, Mukta, has obtained salvation. So you were doing all of this through your life to prepare for that last breath of your life, which is why when someone passes away, they shouldn't be crying or weeping. Immediately, this is what Pai, Pai Sapai Jeevan Singh used to always say, their soul is now departing. This is your time. So that soul, when it's departing, is only thinking one thing, that this is my moment. Mm. The best thing you can do for someone when their soul is departing, when they're on their deathbed, is simran. You sit around that body and you do simran. And you just keep doing it. If you, if you love a person, if you're attached to a person and they meant everything to you, and they're passing away, the best thing you can do for that person, yeah, yeah, give a eulogy at their funeral, whatever. No. The best thing you can do for that person is So that soul, when it's departing, is only thinking one thing. Um, you mentioned uh, earlier, we were talking about your father as well, um, and how he, in terms of um, his Sikhi, he didn't directly tell you to do something, but he showed you with example, right? Um, how did he affect your education? So he affected my education. Or your career as well. My career. He gave me the the teaching of hard work. And he sent me an indirect message through his hard work that, listen, man, I'm doing this for you. If I'm out here 18 hours a day, it's because I have a dream in you that one day you'll become something. And that's what he taught me. He taught me the value of hard work. And when doing that work, when frustrations happen, take it with a smile. You know, he would come back home tired. He taught driving. You know, he worked two jobs, worked 18 hours a day. Simple man. One or two trousers. He wore the same shoes for like seven years at a time. And then when that shoot Jutti would get krab, he'd buy the same pair <laughs> again. The simplest human. If there was too much salt in his dal, he wouldn't even tell my mom. Chopakarke, he'd eat it. And then my mom would eat the dal later and say, Oh my god, there's so much salt in here. He didn't even say anything. He never had anything negative come out of his mouth. That's he taught me the uh, the power of positivity no matter what situation you're in. And he obviously got that through his bhakti level, through his Sikhi level, right? So he gave me the power of positivity, which helped me through my medical career, no matter what challenges were there. And I always tell myself, told myself like, look, if, if dad could put in, you know, I, call, I used to call him Papa, actually. If Papa can put in, you know, 18 hours a day, who am I? I should be able to do the same thing, yeah. you know? And, and he was proud. He didn't say it much. Mm -hmm. He didn't say, he didn't say, Deepi, I'm proud of you. But you could tell his face would glow when I got into medical school, you know? 
and and then you know some some students he would teach driving to he was such a calm individual that the students loved him because he never got angry <laughs> right so during that time my driving instructor was completely different during that time the, the the IT industry in silicon valley and bay area was booming right yeah. so we had a lot of h1 visa couples coming so and they were all like you know like south indians you know with you know right yeah. and Bang really one. smart like wearing chaplan going to work and, <laughs> right and uh so they would they would basically go and the husband would be working and the wife would be kind of at home but needed to learn how to drive yeah. right so we had a lot of students like that and you know they make a lot of mistakes right my dad was the type who would literally you know like the student would be driving they'll like they'll they'll hit a curve or something they'll hit something and he'll be like Oh, oh, okay, okay, uh, okay. Uh, let's try that again, okay? All right. It was just like that. Like he would not, so nice. not get mad, and so they loved him that way, right? So he was just that positive type of personality, right? And that's what he taught me to stay positive, to try to stay positive all the time. The essence of hard work, and also just this emotional stability. You know, jira manhega. It's very you know it, it comes in chanchal man hunda right so uh, you know asthir uh, asthir keep your mind stable right and those were key for me in my in my struggles to, to become whatever i am today um that that's what he taught me yeah. um so in our community becoming a doctor is considered one of the best professions there's a lot of money associated with it would you say that that should be a driving force for people like to think that you know once i become a doctor i'm going to be rich yeah so i mean i would be lying if i say that shouldn't be one of the factors you know i i find that medicine is a very stable profession right like in the sense that you know a physician unless they're like committing like a crime a physician's not going to get fired mm. if you look at most other professions it doesn't matter how far up the ladder you are even ceos can yep. right so a physician never really gets fired mm -hmm. so there's a lot of stability right and the other thing is you know like economic stability meaning like you kind of know from here on what you're going to make for the rest of your life right and that's that that is also a it's it's a positive right mm -hmm. like you know like if you're if you're in business like one month can be a bad month another month can be it's a lot of ups and downs where in medicine you're like you just kind of know right? right so there's a lot of stability in so that way so once you're in you're pretty yeah and i mean there's a lot of sacrifice getting there i mean you're going to probably spend the, it depends mm -hmm. like but like like for me like my parents were not well off like like i had student loans like right like you know others may have their whole medical school paid for them but my medical school tuition was basically like a a home buying a, more, a home basically it was like $300,000 US right and so you spend like the first 10 years just just trying to pay that off right mm -hmm. so but but you you're not going to starve that's what i'm trying to say and the other thing is you can go anywhere in the world mm -hmm. and you will live a good life no matter where you go in the world if right. if it, it right and so those are pros of going into medicine I, i'm not going to lie about that like mm -hmm. i'm not going to downplay that and that should be that should be part of your formula when you decide your career choice i think it should be like i would love my my kids to become 
physicians. I'm not going to force them. Mm-hmm. You know, I try. I try to put on a little. <laughs> I try to you know teach them. Try to make it cool. Yeah. Right. Like like I, I, like if, if I allow them to watch TV, I'll say, hey, let's watch this. You know, trauma ER like yeah. show. Right. And then I'll tell them, oh look, this is what's happening. And I try to make it cool. Right. So that hopefully they'll just like themselves want to do it. For sure. I I don't want to force them into it and then they're going to hate it and they're going to think my dad made me do it right. i don't want to be like that either yeah because you there's a lot of sacrifice involved and yeah. you can be a very unhappy doctor physician suicide rates are pretty high and you i think know? it's key to say that like you said for the first 10 years you were in debt so you are it's not yeah. Yeah. like you get money right away you're yeah. not gonna yeah so you know um yeah but the, the pros i think in in my opinion might mm-hmm. outweigh the cons you know mm-hmm. because you know, you you are like every day is a new day. It's a challenge. The other thing about career satisfaction, I was going to say is, you know, it's been studied. People who are satisfied with their career, number one is, do they have control over their own schedule? Right? These are these are mm-hmm. points, right? So, uh, physician, you you do have control over your schedule. Like, I, I, I get pretty much three months off a year. And there's 10 of us. And, and we just say, hey, I'll email and say, hey, listen, I want these two weeks off in November, blah, blah, blah. And we figure it out. We cover for each other. We figure it out. Right? right? Mm-hmm. Um and the other thing is I don't have a boss breathing down my neck, mm-hmm. right? Like I come to hospital when I want to come to hospital, I go home. Like I'm not under someone who's always like, ooh, right. I have to apply for this, apply for that, right? Yep. So that's a, another positive aspect, right? And the other the other uh, thing about sat- uh, um, career satisfaction is do you feel challenged, right? Like if your job is a monotonous job and you're just like packing boxes all day long, like you're just waiting to get out of work. You're like, it's like that, right? And where I feel challenged every day because when I'm going on a night shift, I don't know what I'm going to encounter, what new disease or illness I'm going to encounter that day. And there's always a little bit of adrenaline going, you know? And to me, I love that. Right. Because, you know, it's it's solving a mystery, you know, patients coming with these symptoms, their x-ray shows this, and you're trying to, you're just trying to solve a puzzle. So it's, it, it's mentally, there, there's a satisfaction in being challenged. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, when they, you do surveys about career satisfaction, they want to feel challenged. And they also want to feel like there's no limit to growth, right? If you choose a profession where there's, you just, bam, you hit mm-hmm. a ceiling, yeah. you're not going to get that much satisfaction out of it. Yeah. There's actually this, uh, um, a concept called flow uh, uh there was uh, the author is a hard name to pronounce i think it's mihai chiksmi chiksimi uh he's a psychologist and he studied this concept of flow and uh and i'm not sure how valid it is like i haven't done my uh, kind of research in that sense but he was mentioning how we can only process about 126 bits per second um and that's why like it takes about 60 bits to have a conversation with a single person right so it's a bit hard to comprehend two conversations at the same time uh per second um and he was mentioning how the whole you get satisfaction in anything in life if you're wholeheartedly in one thing and that takes challenge because usually you can do two things at the same time and you're not concentrated on one thing it's about essentially and it, it comes back to Sikhi as well is removing that mind mm. right and then when Maharaj's like Prakash kind of comes through you get happier mm. right and it's 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 a deeper level than what he might be explaining as well right but mm-hmm. it's, it was a cool concept to kind of tie in back with mm-hmm. the creative mind and just being immersed in something mm-hmm. um, is what brings that satisfaction right mm-hmm. um, so Kind of ending off here a bit. Um, where there's a couple questions left. Um, 
where do you we, you've kind of done obviously gone through the medical school you're you're teaching um as well in terms of the residents and you're working at north general um where do you see yourself in a few years you're doing the show as well where do you see yourself in a few years i i don't think i ever see myself retiring um uh, because i love medicine i love it so if you love it you keep going and also you know if you you know i find the people who live the longest are ones who are always trying to be productive with something you look at fojasing who's the athlete the marathon runner right like mm-hmm. i i've seen you know it, it is a important thing when you feel like you're still being productive and and doing something that's improving yourself as an individual or improving others around you you live a good long life yeah. healthy life Now, I'll probably start cutting down on my work hours. I'm working <laughs> like a dog now. Yeah. Um and you know, it's all because I'm in that phase of my life and actually Gurbani has many cool shabads about phases of life. Mm. I'm in that workhorse phase, the donkey phase of life. <laughs> you know, the way abundant like just, you know, you're just doing everything because you want to s- stabilize your foundation for your kids' future and all that kind of stuff, right? right? So I'm working extra night shifts and all that kind of stuff, but I do see myself cutting down on the amount of work I'm doing, right? Maybe I'll just outpatient clinic, eventually if I'm if I live that long, you know, I don't you know, maybe doing clinic 2 3 times a week, maybe doing more lectures that way in terms of my career choice. I don't think I ever until I I feel like my mind is there, I'll I think I'm going to keep doing medicine. Right. If I feel like my mind is not there anymore, then I'm I'm going to have to retire there's no doubt about right, that right? right right so that's the career aspect of it but to me I've also just like tabla opened the doors for so many things in my life medicine and being a physician I want it to open doors for other things in my life too right so right. you know this you know the show that we're doing um and just trying to be a mentor to people um you know every day I get emails or something of someone wanting to go into medicine and they have questions or I'm going to do a medical school interview how should I you know um you know or just going out and speaking to the youth because I feel like I I don't know I feel like I've gone through a lot in my life yes you know like a lot in my life and I feel like it needs to be shared yes I feel like all these challenges I've gone through in my life have have thickened my skin and made me I wouldn't change any of it. I would not change any of these challenges at all because they I I would probably be half the father I am now if I didn't go through those things. You know, the things I learned when my father passed away, like it made me a man. You know, and I wouldn't be able to teach those things to my kids now. So I wouldn't change any of it. Um but I feel like I need to share that, right? So things like this, like we're doing this podcast or whatever. So I feel like I will be doing more of that. My music, you know, I I want to get back to traveling again. Um I've been you know, because Working. I have young kids, I've been more grounded, but when I first started, you know, when I was single, <laughs> I'm blaming this one on my wife. <laughs> um but when I was single, like I traveled everywhere. Right. right i went through the whole world meeting different people just because of the people like to listen to the tabla yeah. so they invited me they say we'll pay your ticket to come over come for our smogam this and that 
and I traveled everywhere, you know, around the world. And I did it for many years while I was studying. I would take my books with me. I'd read on the airplane. Even during medical school, I did it. Like I'd come, I'd take, I wouldn't attend any of the courses. I just read the books on the oh, plane wow. and I'd show up for the exam after the smogum. We went to Australia, smogum. Bam. I'm just like during Asadivad, like after Asadivad, I'd come back, read my books. Yeah. And then it'd be evening program. Okay, let's go to the evening program. Anyway, I, I want to start doing that again at some point right i don't see it anytime soon because my kids are still young but i i want to start going out and meeting new people right mm-hmm. um and hopefully affecting them and and also learning from them because half of what i've learned is from that traveling aspect and meeting so many different mm-hmm. guru six and stuff like that mm-hmm. um and personally spiritually you know i i i I want to become more spiritual. That's always a longing. Like I, 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 I want to be a Gursik. You know, I, I, you know, I want to understand Gurbani more. Right. I want to put more time and effort into that, into Sajbart, into, into you know, you know, the same Tuk, the same Bani stanza, can have different meanings based on your Kamai level, yep. based on your spiritualism. You know, it's one thing to read Bani. But it's another thing to experience Bani. Mm-hmm. You know, those Gurmukhs that'll sit a whole entire dance by, and it doesn't matter if a seven-year-old is doing a Shabbat, and it doesn't matter if it's, you know, some famous popular Kirtani that's doing Shabbat, they're getting the same bliss out of it. Mm. And they're able to sit there for 36 hours. How There's obviously a power behind that. Mm-hmm. And it's because they are experiencing Bani. Reading Bani and experiencing Bani is completely two separate things. And I that's another longing of mine to to experience Bonnie more. Um yeah, I mean sure. Yeah. Um yeah, so uh we actually before we end off, uh, usually we do random five and we will get to that. Sure. Um it, there's just another question that I had um popped into my head and it was just kind of like a conclusion type of question. What general advice would you, or is, if there is any, I know we've covered a lot, but what general advice would you give to the youth today in terms of career? Um, I know you mentioned the Sikhi aspect, keep that there, but um, anything else that comes to mind? Yeah. I think one of the most important things is find the right Sangat for the youth. Jiddandi Sangat, Uddandi Rangat. They say that you will be the product of the five closest people to you. Mm-hmm. So make sure you pick and choose those people wisely. Mm-hmm. You will laugh like them. You will talk like them. You will walk like them. And you will think like them. So if you choose your closest five people to be, you know, someone who likes to go out to a bar or just partiers, then that's that's going to obviously be a a a, um, a hump in the road for you to achieve your successes because life is about distractions. Maya, nagani, Maya is always pulling you in different directions, and so choose those people around you that will keep you focused, that will make you a better person. Mm-hmm. And they should be goal-oriented people. They should be people who 
who you can learn something from and you want to be like. If you if you just do that, mm-hmm. you there will be a certain inertia that's made in your life that will carry you. That is probably the biggest piece of advice I can give you. If you're a parent, you know, you can't really control your kids' friends, but like it should be on the top of your list. Like who are my kids hanging around with? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and so that is probably the biggest, biggest piece of feedback I can give to the youth today is think about who the closest people are to you and ask yourself a question. Are they making me a better person? That's one. And through that comes avoidance of distractions, right? So be a goal-oriented person, right? You're never going to achieve a goal if you don't set it. You got to set the goal. And I call it the pie of life, the pie chart of life. How much of your life is your career? How much of your life is your faith? How much of your life is whatever, entertainment or whatever? You have to figure out what is important to you in your life. And actually write it down. You know, writing on a piece of paper is, is, is soul food, right? It opens up your soul. It makes you learn about yourself, right? And once you figured out that pie chart, then set the goal within that pie chart. You know, my, like right now, like my goal is I want to be this. Mm-hmm. Once you set that, you've got to be goal-oriented. Then the next step is you got to be willing to sacrifice to achieve that goal. And you got to be willing to work hard. Okay? Be mad at yourself if you didn't work hard. Don't be mad at yourself at the result. Okay? The result is going to be the result. But if you find that you didn't work hard and then you got that result, that's on you. Right. But if you put your 100% effort into that result then be happy with that result, no matter what that result is. Because there is no such thing as a fair failure. It's only an opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. You will only grow if you are uncomfortable. There's a really cool book written, The Talent Code. Um, and it's about, you know, it's a scientific book. It's about how, you know, Michael Jordan became Michael Jordan. How did Mozart become Mozart? And how it was about practice. Mm-hmm. They said the people who practice only to the limit of their comfort zone, don't improve. If you're sitting on a vajja mm-hmm. and you're trying to get your voice to one key and you can easily get it there and you just keep practicing within, within that range, you're not going to improve. It's when you push your limits mm-hmm. and become uncomfortable, even if you're doubting yourself, and you say, you know what, I want to try to see if my voice can hit that higher key. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to struggle through it. You're going to fail 20 times, 25 times, but that, and, and, and you got to have this almost internal, like, you know, like fight or flight, do or die type of drive to hit that key. You will hit that key or you'll get close, right? So you have to be willing to put in that hundred percent effort and you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. Meaning if you're a shy person and you want to find a mentor, and there's someone that's intimidating, but you're too shy to talk to them, get out of your comfort zone. Send that email. Walk up to them and say, hey, you know, I was wondering, you know, I, I you know, da-da-da, can I, can I, 
you got to get out of your, if you stay within your comfort zone, you're going to hit a ceiling. Yeah, that's it. Like we talked goal orientation, resilience, get out of your comfort zone, right? Willing to sacrifice and put 100% effort into anything you do. And remember that there's no such thing as failures. Mm-hmm. Most CEOs have failed many times. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk failed many times yeah. before he, uh, with Tesla. Okay. So, you know, Michael Jordan got cut from his high school basketball team. Mm-hmm. And now he's the best basketball player ever. Not LeBron James. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, you know, you think about the people who made it where they made it. They had to fail many times. Yeah. So there's no real such thing as failure. So remember those points. Yeah. Pick your sangat and then follow those rules. And honestly, and then you add Sikhi to that, sky's the limit. Yeah. Wow. One of the things like while recording this podcast, every person we've talked to, no one's been able to just be like yep yeah, got into my first school did this did yeah. that and got yeah. my dream job like everyone's yeah. had a struggle everyone's had roadblocks and i yeah. think that really helps but for re- people to because it's relatable it helps you realize that you know not everyone is able to achieve something right away everyone has a struggle they don't just become the greatest in whatever that's yeah. life and and you know what life would be boring if there wasn't struggle yeah if there weren't challenges yeah. it would be a boring life definitely but the thing is i think a lot of kids as they're growing up when what they see in social media what they see on tv they think these people just got there yeah so so that's another whole separate topic social media to me is dangerous for kids Mm -hmm. you know teenage suicide rates are going up um and they're they've been going up since the iphone was invented steve jobs didn't even want his kids to have the iphone okay social media you know you know the facebook the twitter especially for teenage girls okay Mm -hmm. because the teenage years are when you're trying to find your identity Mm -hmm. you're trying to figure out do I fit in that circle right. or do I fit in that circle? You're trying, you're still trying to figure out who you are as a person. Right. And then, you know, here you go, you go on to this, this, you know, this fake reality world yeah. where, you know, a friend puts up a, a picture of their prom yeah. with like $500 high heels, you know, and, and yeah, just smiling, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you know, the other teenagers thinking, Oh, wow, they're having such an amazing time in their yeah. life. Is anyone ever going to put up a picture when they struggle to their life? No. Definitely not. No. So it's a, it creates this false reality. Yep. Where, you know, even Twitter is just a bunch of the same loud people. Yeah. It's not, it's not what's actually happening in the world. Mm-hmm. It's the same people that are just loud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And yep. so it's this false reality. So, you know, I actually think, honestly speaking, I, I you call me hardcore, call me whatever you want to call me, but I actually think social media is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Until a certain age, right? There's an age for it, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's the same argument as, as, as you know, violent video games. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the, the the debate goes on and on. You know, should should you allow your kids to play violent video games or not, right? Or whatever it may be. I I don't think so. I don't think you should because, the, you know, a four year old playing a violent video game versus someone who's already grown and at 25 years old, the amount of maturity you have to not allow that violent video game to affect you is mm-hmm. much different when you're 25, yep. right? So yeah, it does affect kids. Kids are still growing. They're figuring out who they are as individuals. So there's a lot of um, uh, sensitivity there for, for it to really affect them, right? Mm-hmm. right? Um, where, you know, if you're already grown, you you know who you are as a person. If I go and play Call of Duty now, it's not going to affect me. I know right. I know who I am. I know Sikhi is important to me. I'm not going to go and shoot someone in the head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's the same thing with social media. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you're 25, 
you know who you are as a person like i don't care about those high heels yeah i think it's also just the fact right? that <laughs> it, it's like a, what you just mentioned is understanding the difference between reality and what uh mm-hmm. is presented as reality right in yeah. both scenarios exactly and that understanding comes with a certain level of maturity yeah yeah, yeah. um i just rem- i just forgot what i was going to say um in terms of um uh maybe i'll come back yeah maybe i'll come back but <laughs> we'll start with our random five so when we're ending each podcast we'd go through a random five so sure. it's five questions just for the listeners to get to know you better um so whatever comes on top of your mind you can sure. answer sure um the first one what's your favorite book my favorite favorite book um so any category yeah. like category. Yeah. Uh, or anything anything that comes to mind any yeah. category well i mean i would say rich dad poor dad yeah it's a common like entrepreneur business yeah. type of uh, a, a book um and uncle vinder likes it yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean i'm going to show this episode to everybody yeah. <laughs> yeah i i think i i think um yeah i i think it's that yeah. because it's the power of the mind it's more than you know mm-hmm. money and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. it's really it's more about the power of the mind yes. and a perspective mm-hmm. you know the willing to be uncomfortable and take a risk take mm-hmm. action you know um uh so i i think that's a really good read what is your favorite quote or bani pankti or both bura nahi sab palai hare har nahi sab jeeti hare i mean bani pankti means you know everything is good it all depends on on your perspective it's that same story that we talked about the child you know it's the same event mm-hmm. the event is going to occur no matter what it is it's how do you perceive that event do you perceive it and figure out a way to perceive it in a positive sense or do you you know yeah. look at it in a negative sense and and thus and, and guru sahib writes it out for you it's just like the matches that you mentioned exactly yeah yeah i think that's one of the most powerful um uh, bani bani talks yeah uh do you have a weird quirk you'd like to share a weird quirk <laughs> So like like a weird hobby or like kind of it like a It could be a weird hobby, sure. Uh, or a habit that or you Or a habit? Yeah. Um that's a good question. Maybe your wife points I, it out. I, I, just <laughs> okay, that's a good question. Um I think I can, I can space out a lot. Yeah. My wife tells me that a lot. <laughs> She tells me that a lot. She's like, "Are you even I just I think a lot." You know, um I I just think a lot. You know, like if I'm sitting you know i'm i space out a lot i think that's my weird quirk like sometimes i just i'll just sit there and i'll i'm just a thinker right um i don't know if that's weird or not but yeah. um yeah if you could meet anyone in history who would it be god there's so many people but one person not just one person <laughs> you so list a few people. that's fine yeah i mean i mean i think one person for sure would be sante jessing and I my grandfather had a amazing life spending with him um but god it's so impressive you know to to at a, such a young age during those times coming out to the west and just mm-hmm. to be with him and mm-hmm. and see what drove him to talk to him like what are his thoughts and you know he just did so much above and beyond Mm-hmm. you know above and beyond i think that and that programmed my my doctor darshan see my grandfather's older brother cuz he spent time with him and even by the south by the thing obviously 
um, in terms of those Sikhi figures, right? Um, in terms of non-Sikhi figures, I mean, there's so many other people. Einstein, you know, someone who got C's in school but ended up being one of the most, you know, Renowned I would have loved to just see his personality and just sit and talk to him. Like um, more recent individuals, Obama. I think Obama is one of the coolest guys, you know, like everything he went through, you know, like, yeah. you know, he's kind of racially mixed, you know, growing up, struggling, you know, mother passing away of breast cancer um, and just making it through, you know, and the, the, he just has a personality about him. Mm -hmm. He's got an aura about him. Right. Um, I, I, I actually probably put him over my, you know, my, my childhood idol, Michael Jordan. You know, I would probably put Obama above him. Wow. Um, yeah. So. And the last one, what's your biggest pet peeve? My biggest pet peeve is not obtaining the potential that's there. It bothers me a lot. And maybe it's a bad habit of mine. If I see that someone has a certain potential, mm -hmm. And I see that they're not reaching close to their maximum potential. Even for me, mm -hmm. it bothers me. From I'm just talking about, just forget about other people. Like for me, if I feel like, God, I have such more, much more potential for this and I'm not getting there, especially if it's because of a lack of effort, mm -hmm. you know, circumstance is circumstance. Yeah. But if the driving force of one not making their getting close to their potential is a lack of effort. That's my pet, pet peeve. Well, sounds good. That's the end of the random five. Um, so I've already asked you this question in terms of uh, uh, advice, but if before we end off today, is there anything that you want to tell listeners in general, like where to find you or um, anything of the sort? Yeah. So, I mean, if you could email me, um, like, first of all, like, Try to follow the the, the show. Um, just go to Facebook, Dr. DP Show, and you can just, you know, whatever, click follow or whatever. And every time we have episode <laughs> and share that also. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of people who need that information. That's one way. Um, and my email, you can email me. My email is DP, D-E-E-P-Y underscore M at hotmail.com. So shoot me an email at any point if you have any questions about anything. If you just want, you just want to talk. It doesn't have to be all about career or whatever. Sure, if you're just going through something in your life and you want to talk about it, I feel like I've gone through almost everything in my life, you know, and sometimes it just helps to talk. Um, and we can talk on the phone, whatever you want to do, you know, just reach out. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Dr. Amadeep Singh Ji, for uh, sharing your story and for being honest. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's been an honor. Yeah. You've been listening to the Experience Sikhi Podcast. 